Why did the girl mushroom fall in love with the boy mushroom? Because he was a fun guy. Do you get it? F-U-N-G-I. Mushrooms are fun guys, so... You are a little slow. The early service got that right away. <laughs> when all else fails, insult your audience, right? So, so let's say you meet a fun guy or a fun gal and you fall in love. Before long, you find yourself getting married knowing that you're going to live happily ever after. But five, ten years down the road, after all of his or her flaws have been laid bare, you find yourself wondering, what was I thinking? A woman is sitting in her favorite chair in her family room, staring, staring at her marriage certificate. Finally, her husband says to her, what are you doing? She says, nothing. He says, what do you mean nothing? You've been staring at that thing for hours. Oh, all right, she said, I'm looking for the expiration date. <laughs> but it's not just spousal relationships that can challenge us to the very core of our being. Picture it, you're a brand new parent and you bring home for the first time that little bundle of joy and it feels like you are in heaven until you realize that that little bundle of joy is gonna keep you awake every night. I saw a funny meme the other day that looks like this. The caption says, guess who kept everyone awake last night? <laughs> you see that devious grin there? <laughs> so first they keep you awake every night then they grow into the terrible twos and then they reach that stage where they know everything and you know nothing and then they reach that stage where you're up late every night worried where are they and what are they doing until ultimately you find yourself wondering what was I thinking because whether we're talking about spouses or children parents or siblings, friends or neighbors, co-workers or fellow church members. The truth is relationships are hard, really hard. Nothing you are ever asked to do in life will be harder than building and sustaining meaningful lifelong relationships and yet nothing can bring more beauty and grace into our life than meaningful lifelong relationships so today let's each one of us step back and ask ourselves how am I doing in the key relationships in my life and what wisdom can the Bible offer that can help me do better. Let's start with prayer. God, <clears throat> you've put us here on planet Earth and surrounded us with people for a reason. Nothing is more critical to our soul 
Nothing is more central to our discipleship. And nothing is more challenging to us than how we relate to the people around us. Give us some flashes of insight today that can help us. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today, we're going to ask three key questions. First, to lay a foundation for what is to come, let's ask, how does God relate to us? The principle, Old Testament Hebrew word that is used to describe how God relates to us is kesed, spelled H-E-S-E-D, pronounced with kind of a hard K at the beginning, kesed. Kesed is a Hebrew word that has multiple layers of rich meaning, so many layers that there's no one English word that serves as a perfect translation of kesed. Pastor Bill Eliff puts it this way, one of the most important words in the Old Testament is kesed. It's used over 240 times and is often translated as loving kindness or mercy. Some translations use the phrase steadfast love. But kesed is more than mere love. It's a word that carries multiple thoughts. Our English language cannot capture this rich Hebrew concept in a single word. Exodus 34 verse 6 adds a bit more texture. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. There's that word, kesed, and faithfulness, keeping kesed, steadfast love, to the thousandth generation. So you see, kesed is merciful and gracious. It's patient. It is steadfast, cannot be moved. It is faithful, and it endures from generation to generation to generation. That's why Psalm 136 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord whose kessed steadfast love is everlasting. And as you read down through Psalm 136, it keeps echoing that refrain, Oh, give thanks to the Lord whose steadfast love is everlasting. There's a story told in the Old Testament that's meant to dramatize what it means to say that God loves you and me with a kessed love. It's really, when you think about it, kind of an eye-popping story. It's found in the book of the Old Testament prophet Hosea. There is a portion of that book that is autobiographical for Hosea, a portion where he tells us about his relationship with his own wife and how she was repeatedly unfaithful to him to the point that none of their three children were biologically his. So eventually Hosea had enough and he separated from her. Only to later be led to go back and reconcile with her and renew that relationship. Can you imagine? Would you ever do that? But Hosea goes on to say that that's how God loves us. No matter how unfaithful we are to God, 
no, how many, no matter how many times we are unfaithful to God. God says, I will never stop loving you. Amen. Hosea goes on to express it this way. He pictures God saying to each one of us, I will take you for my wife forever. I will take you as my wife in steadfast chesed and mercy. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. Even when we don't deserve it, God showers us in mercy and grace and steadfast love. This is chesed. This is how God relates to us. We can sum it up <coughs> this way. Chesed is strong, unending, unconditional, steadfast, merciful, loving kindness. It takes at least six English words to begin to capture the deep meaning of chesed, how God relates to us. But let's not stop there because there's also a key word that the New Testament uses to describe how God relates to us. The principal New Testament Greek word used to describe how God relates to us is agape. You heard Pastor Robert mentioning that word in the children's sermon today. Agape is a Greek word you're, you've probably heard before and you're probably aware that there are at least four different ancient Greek words that denote different kinds of love. Agape is a special kind of love, the deepest kind of love. Agape is pretty much a mirror image of the biblical concept of kesed. It means strong, unending, unconditional merciful, sacrificial love. 1 John 4, 9. God, God's love, God's agape, was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is agape. Not that we agaped God, but that God agaped us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. Unconditional, sacrificial, steadfast, unending, no matter what, Back in uh, 2006, there was a popular movie called The Guardian that told the story of a Coast Guard trainer who was responsible for training new recruits to, to, uh, to become competent and courageous in saving people in peril of being lost at sea. The trainer's name was Ben Randall, and in one of his recruiting classes, there was a young man fresh out of high school, a champion high school swimmer who got into a lot of trouble, came from a troubled past. Jake was the young man's name. There's a scene in the movie where, where Ben has, has taken Jake under his wing and is, is trying to help him become all that he can be. There's a scene where Ben and Jake have just completed a, a, a harrowing rescue in the Bering Sea. The waters of the Bering Sea frozen and, and cold and, and waves crashing around them. And as they completed this daring rescue and those they were rescuing were finally at safety, 
the helicopter hovering above lowered a cable. They, Ben and Jake, attached themselves to the cable and the helicopter began lifting them up, up higher and higher, 50 feet, 100 feet, 150 feet above the waters below. When Ben and Jake look up and realize that the cable is beginning to fray and threatening to give way under the weight of them holding onto this cable, Ben quickly assesses the situation and reaches the conclusion that if he were to release himself from the cable, maybe it would be strong enough to hold Jake and take him to safety. So he begins to unhook himself from the cable. Jake shouts out at him, what are you doing? Don't even think about it. Ben shouts back, it's not going to hold us both. Jake says, yes, it will. It'll hold. But Ben knows it won't. So he detaches himself from the cable and begins to fall. Jake lunges out and manages to grab him by the hand, holding on to him with all of his might. He shouts to him, I won't let go. Ben responds, I know. So Ben reaches up and releases the flap of his glove, allowing his hand to slip out of the glove, leaving Jake clutching an empty glove as Ben plummets 150 feet to his death in the freezing waters below. Can you imagine loving so much that you would give your life so that somebody else can live? That's what Jesus did for us. That's how much you are loved. Jesus said, John 15, 13, no one has greater agape than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus knew what was coming and he did not flinch. That is how much you are loved. Unending, unconditional, sacrificial, faithful, steadfast love. Once there was a, a mom who was worried about her five-year-old boy, Timmy, making it to school safely. He walked several blocks to school. And Timmy noticed that older kids at school, they walked by themselves. They didn't have their mom or dad with them. And he was getting to that point where he, he didn't want mom with him. He, he wanted to walk to school like the big kids. And mom wanted Timmy to have a healthy sense of independence, but she also wanted him to get there safely. So she stood over this dilemma. She came up with a brainstorm. She asked her best friend and next door neighbor, Shirley Goodness, if she wouldn't mind for the next few days following Timmy as he walked to school from a safe distance so that he wouldn't notice. I know it's a lot to ask, she says. Don't give it a second thought, Shirley said. Marcy and me need some exercise. Marcy was Shirley's toddler. We need a little bit of exercise, so we'll just time a morning walk for when Timmy's headed to school and we'll follow from a safe distance. He won't even notice. So that's what happened over the next four, five, six school days. Until one day as Timmy's walking to school and his best friend with him, Timmy's best friend says to him, points to the behind them and says, see that lady back there? And that little girl, they've been following us all week. 
What's with that? Oh, Tammy says, I know who that is. That's Shirley Goodness and her daughter, Marcy. Really? His friend said, well, what are they doing? Tammy says, I don't know what they're doing. All I know is that every night at bedtime when I say my prayers, my mommy makes me recite the 23rd Psalm, and it says right there, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And there it is again. <laughs> Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy. Guess what Hebrew word there is translated mercy? Kesed. Kesed. Surely goodness and kesed shall follow me all the days of my life. Even when I reach those places in my life where I say, God, I need my space. I don't want you walking beside me. God says, well, okay. I'll give you your space. I'll follow from a safe distance. And if you need me, you just holler. No matter how unfaithful we are, God's faithfulness never fails. That's how God relates to us. So if that's true, then it raises our second key question. How does God want us to relate to the people around us? Jesus gives us the answer to that question. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Now, stop there and notice the phrasing that Jesus is using. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, this is one of my commandments. Instead, he says, this is my commandment. In other words, Jesus is signaling that he's about to share with us the single most important instruction he will ever give us. What is it, Jesus? This is my commandment, that you agape one another as I have agaped you. 1 John 4, 7, let us agape one another because agape is from God for God is agape. In other words, the irreducible essence of the being of God is unconditional, sacrificial love. We who claim to be offspring of God, we who claim to be children of God, should reflect that same core essence into the world. We should be bearers of that same love, sharing God's love with the people around us. That's our highest calling. It's the highest mark of our discipleship. In fact, Ephesians 5.1 is even more explicit. It says, be ye imitators of God as dear children, and live in agape as Christ agaped us and gave himself for us. Years ago, when I was still uh, living in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, at a home in the Maryland suburbs of D.C., out in the countryside, there was a, a barn on the hill behind the house that had a dirt floor. So one Saturday, I was out in the barn with a shovel trying to level a part of that dirt floor. Meanwhile, 
the, the pastor of my church at the time, this was before I was a pastor, she had asked me before she went on vacation if I wouldn't mind babysitting her little Springer Spaniel dog named Sophie. By the way, have you ever been around a Springer Spaniel? They are the most annoying dogs in the world. They are, ap they are aptly named. They, you know, they're always right there in your face springing up. But it was for my friend, Pastor Jenny. And so I said, sure, I'll keep Sophie for you. And so that Saturday afternoon, I brought Sophie with me out to the barn, closed the barn door so that she could play in the barn while I was working on the floor. So I took the shovel and I was digging and shoveling and, and trying to smooth out the floor for a while. When I was ready for a break, I stopped, leaned on the end of the shovel. I looked up and as soon as Sophie noticed that I was looking at her, her eyes lit up and she did this. She began vigorously digging with her front paws for like five or ten seconds and then she stopped and looked at me as if to say, did you see what I just did? I can do what you can do. I thought to myself, nah, she's not that smart. But I decided to test it, so I took the shovel, I did a few more scoops, I stopped, I looked at her, her eyes lit up, she did it again. And then looks at me like, I can do what you can do. I tried it a third time, just to, and she did it again. By golly, that dog was imitating what I was doing and so proud that in her own little way she could do what I was doing. In that story, you are Sophie and I am Jesus because it's my story and I get to be Jesus, right? <laughs> Actually, in that story, we are all Sophie. We watch how Jesus related to the people around him. And then Jesus says, give it a try. You're called to do this in your own little imperfect way. Share that kind of love, God's love, with the people around you. Which brings us to our third and final key question. If we are to love the people around us, with the same kessed agape love as God shows us, what exactly does that look like when we translate it from the God to us context into the human to human context? What does it look like when human beings love each other that way? The Bible has another eye-popping dramatic story, another Old Testament story, that is meant to illustrate the answer to that question. You heard Sharon read it a little bit earlier, the beginning part of that story from the Old Testament book of Ruth, so named because Ruth is the hero of that story. The story begins with a Hebrew couple, Naomi and Elimelech, who because of famine in Israel were forced to migrate to a foreign country named Moab. There, they raised their two sons, and when their two sons were young adults, those two sons each took a Moabite wife. One of those wives, Ruth, the other, Orpah. Orpah, not Oprah. These two wives, Naomi, Elimelech, the two sons, over the course of time, encountered tragedy. 
Elimelech, the father, died. Naomi's two sons died, leaving Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi, all three of them, widows. At a time and in a culture and in an economy where women were frozen out of meaningful work so that if you became a widow in ancient Moab or ancient Israel, your only way to survive would be to return to your family of origin and hope that somebody in your extended family would take you in and provide for you and if you were young enough, maybe remarry you to another man so that you could go on and survive in life. And so when all three of the men folk in Naomi's extended family pass away, she turns to her two daughters-in-law, Moabite daughters-in-laws, whom she loves dearly, and insists that they return to their Moabite families so that they can be provided for and so that maybe they can be remarried. Meanwhile, Naomi knows what she has to do. She has to take the long and dangerous journey by foot all the way back to her home village, Bethlehem, in Israel, hoping that maybe there's some, ex some distant relative there still alive that will be willing to take her in so that she can survive. But Ruth and Orpah love Naomi dearly, and, and their attitude is, you are not going to take that dangerous trip. You are not going to take this dangerous adventure by yourself. We're going to go with you. But Naomi is a realist and understands that life for these two young women, Moabites, in Bethlehem would be difficult and hard. No, my daughter, she says, go back to your Moabite families. Eventually, Orpah relents. The text says she hugged Naomi, she kissed her, she wept, she said her goodbyes and headed back to her Moabite family. But for her part, Ruth absolutely refused. Naomi, there is no way I'm going to separate. In fact, the text says Ruth clung to Naomi. And it's then that Ruth speaks these immortal words that has become the Bible's ideal definition of what it looks like when two human beings love each other with a steadfast Kessid agape love. Ruth says to Naomi, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Even if that's to hell and back. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your relatives, my relatives. Even if they annoy the heck out of me, your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. I'll share your faith. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord curse me and even worse, if even death parts me from you. When they arrive back in Bethlehem, it's tough. There is no relative in Naomi's extended family that is willing to take her and Ruth in. So they become destitute. Ruth becomes an ancient equivalent of a modern-day beggar, scavenging for food to keep herself and Naomi alive. They become so desperate, they hatch a scheme that Ruth is going to try to seduce a distant relative of Naomi so that he will be persuaded to marry Ruth and then take Naomi into his household as well. 
the scheme works. Ruth is married. Naomi is taken in. And by the way, Ruth goes on to bear a son. And now Ruth and that son are part of the lineage that gave us Jesus Christ. This Moabite foreigner loved so much that she would not under any circumstances separate herself from Naomi. She gave much and she received much. She became part of the progeny that gave us Jesus the Christ. That's what it looks like when one human loves another with agape, hesed love. To this we are called in our life. And that's not easy. Because every single human being, you or I, will ever be in relationship. No matter what the setting, workplace, church, spousal relationship, child, parent, sibling, friend, neighbor. Every single human being we are ever in relationship will test our last nerve. Will be exasperating to us. Will let us down many times. And will often cause us pain. What God is calling us to, it's really hard and it's counterintuitive because most all of us have been taught to approach relationships as a form of bargain. I give you something so that I can get something back from you. And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, the deal's over. Not long ago, Pastor Tandy told me a story about how around her house, she had, has a tendency to throw her clothes around, you know, leave them on the floor. And then her husband, Brian, ends up being the one who has to pick them up all the time. She tells how Brian eventually got so exasperated with this that one day he said to her, Tandy, I've had enough. I'm not your maid. So here's how it's going to be. From now on, every time I have to pick up a piece of your clothing and put it where it belongs, I'm going to fine you $5. You can imagine how surprised Tandy was at the end of the week when she found Brian had left a bill for her on the dresser for $65. And you can imagine how even more surprised Brian was when he walked by the dresser later that day and saw that Tandy had left $65 and a $10 tip <laughs> and a nice note saying, thanks, honey, keep up the good work. <laughs> okay, okay, so that didn't really happen. But it could have happened. If you know Pastor Tandy, it could have happened. And you get my point, right? We all have learned to approach our relationships with people principally as commercial transactions. Quid pro quo. What do I have to give you to get you to give me what I want? And if you breach the bargain... I'm out of here. It's what lawyers call the mutual exchange of consideration. But Jesus calls us to something a lot harder than that and a lot higher than that. He calls us to see those relationships not as bargains, not as two-way transactions, but as unconditional commitment to the people around us.
And that's hard because every person you love will prove to be imperfect. Every person you love will exasperate you and let you down time and again. And there will be a lot of hurt in that love. Henry Nouwen once put it this way. If you allow someone to love you or you love someone, that love will take you to painful places. Mark it down. It's inevitable. Pastor Glenn McDonald reminds us that the Puritans called marriage, quote, the church within the church, close quote, the setting where disciples best learn over a long period of time what it actually means to love and to be loved. In other words, the single best forum for growing our discipleship is in those close interpersonal relationships. They are the fiery furnace in which our souls are being shaped and refined into pure gold ready to live in the house of God forever. Hesed, kesed, agape love is not for sissies. <laughs> it's hard work. It is sometimes even harrowing and scary. But to this we are called. Jeff, you may say, is there no limit? Are there no circumstances under which it would be appropriate for us, followers of Jesus, to step back from a relationship with someone? Yes. We can and should step back from a relationship with someone else under the same circumstances as God will. I can think of at least two circumstances under which God's agape kessed love would compel God to step back from us. Number one, if we make it clear that we don't want God to be in our life. God, I need my space. God, I don't want you walking next to me. God, out of love, and not out of spite, but out of love and respect, will step back and say, tell you what, I'll follow you from a safe distance. Holler if you need me, because I'll come running. There may be painful times in our life when a spouse or maybe an adult child says, I need my space. I don't want to be with you anymore. And we, out of love, have to step back and say, it's your life to live. You get to make that choice. Condition number one. The second circumstance I can think of where God will sometimes step back from relationship with us is when we get into a pattern of behavior that is destructive to ourselves or others. In those circumstances, God's not going to enable us. God's not going to be right there patching everything up and saving us from feeling the consequences of our actions, not out of spite, but rather out of compelling love for us. God is going to step back and say, if I keep enabling you, that's not going to be helping you. I love you too much to see you continue this pattern. I'm going to step back and hope and pray that you will, that you will see what's happening and that you will course correct. There will be times in our relationships when we too see someone we love dearly 
walking this path that is very destructive. And out of love for them, as hard as it is, we have to step back because God is not an enabler, nor should we be. But even when love compels us to step back from somebody in a relationship, we should always, like God, stand ready to reconcile should reconciliation ever prove to be possible. It's hard. It's not easy. But to this, we are called. But Jeff, if every person we love <laughs> is going to disappoint us, if love hurts, if love is often painful, if people will let us down, even betray us sometimes, why even bother? <laughs> why bother to, to try to love people that way? Jesus also answers that question. At the end of a segment in the Gospel of Luke where he's describing the characteristics of agape love and how we're supposed to love the people around us, he ends that segment by summing it up this way. First Corinthians, excuse me, Luke chapter 6, verse 38 Jesus says, give and it will be given unto you. We often hear that verse used when preachers are inviting us to share generously financially with God's work. And that's, I suppose, an appropriate application of this principle. But in context, what Jesus was talking about here is loving the people around us. And Jesus sums it up by saying, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. When we love the people around us as God loves, that love has a way, directly or indirectly, one way or the other, of coming back to us. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put back into our laps. Let me close with this. A week ago Saturday, we held a memorial service here at our church to celebrate the life of Jackie Harris, a beloved 25-year member of our congregation. At that memorial service, during the eulogy, Pastor David told a story about Jackie that captures the essence of her spirit. Jackie is someone who lived with amazing agape love toward the people around her. One night, late at night, a cold night, cold rainy night, Jackie had been shopping at a Goodwill store. She loved to do that. As she was coming out of the Goodwill store, walking toward her vehicle, she noticed a short Latina lady loaded up with bags, heavy bags, looking like she was walking across the parking lot out to the street to walk home on foot in the cold, dark, and rain. Immediately, of course, Jackie sensed what Jesus would do and what Jesus would want her to do. But Jackie, like all of us, was busy. Had a schedule to meet. She's a nursing home administrator. She had people to meet, places to be, things to do. She was tired. It was the end of a long day. Plus, when you take a risk of getting involved with strangers, you never know what you're getting into. But, the love of Christ in Jackie compelled her to walk over to that woman and say, can I give you a ride? The woman, it turns out, spoke no English. So Jackie had to use her phone translation device to ask her the question. The woman's 
face lit up and she gratefully accepted the offer as Jackie was driving the woman Leela is her name to her and by the way Leela was at the memorial service as Jackie was driving Leela to her home using the translation device they were talking and getting acquainted it turns out that Leela was in the United States kind of under circumstances similar to Naomi and Elimelech meaning she, told, she explained to Jackie she was here to earn as much money as she could so she could send it back to her daughter in their homeland so that her daughter could complete dental school and so that her daughter could provide for her elderly mother. Jackie invited Leela to dinner with her and her wife, Laura. And they, Laura says, Jackie and Leela became dear friends. Jackie began referring Leela to her friends that needed housekeeping and Jackie hired her to do some housekeeping around their house and as a nursing home administrator Jackie started referring people who needed a caretaker for their elderly parent or someone who was sick referring them to Leela and then when Jackie herself got so sick Leela became a caretaker for Jackie Laura tells how a couple nights before Jackie passed away. Leela made some special tea for Jackie, but Jackie was too weak to drink it. Laura teared up as she said, I sat there and I watched Leela sit on the couch next to Jackie and spoon feed that tea to her like a mother would feed a child. A couple days later at 4.40 p.m., December the 23rd, Jackie was laying in her bed at home when she breathed her last. And guess who was holding her hand to help her transition into eternity? Leela. Leela on one side, Lara on the other side, easing Jackie into the next life. Several years earlier, when Jackie was walking out of that Goodwill store and saw a stranger, she had no way of knowing that someday this woman would be there at one of the most important moments in her life and ease her transition into eternity. Give, and it will be given unto you. Agape is hard. The hardest thing we will ever be asked to do. But it is so beautiful. When we love as God loves, we will never regret it. The measure you give is the measure that will come back to you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you.